This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Kathleen Morrison. And I'm Zach Meir. On this week's show, has Brexit ruined your pension? We are facing a more uncertain economic future. We're joined by Tom McPhail from Hargreaves Lansdowne. We might see uh, a recession kicking in possibly within a few months. I mean, this, this could, could be quite real quite quickly. And Tom Selby from investment services company AJ Bell. The people who delivered the Leave vote were generally older people. Politicians will be starting to strategize for the general election in 2020. And are you going to annoy the very people who are likely to get you back into government? Welcome to City AM Unregulated. As you might have noticed, I'm not Emma Hazlitt. She's away this week, and as Deputy Digital Editor of City AM, I've stepped up to steer the ship. Thankfully, not the Brexit, though. Indeed, on today's show, we'll be looking at whether pensions have been affected by Britain's vote to leave the European Union. And we're joined today by two Toms, Head of Pension Research at Hargreaves Lansdowne, Tom McPhail, and Tom Selby, Senior Analyst for Investment Services Company, AJ Bell. Welcome. So let's start with Hargreaves Lansdowne's look at all this. Has Brexit changed much in the pensions market? Uh, there's some short-term impact, absolutely yes, and then there's a lot more to come yet that's just poised to feed through into the system. So let's just talk about the short-term stuff first. Uh, we've immediately, we saw uh, gilt yields falling. Um, they've been dropping anyway for the last year or two, so we were on a downward trajectory. We were already at historic lows, and now we've gone lower. And within a couple of days, we immediately saw insurance companies cutting their annuity rate, very closely linked to gilt yields. So they are falling again and will probably keep falling for the time being. I think there's more to come on that front. So that was a very immediate impact. Right, a point, point for me to make is a, a person, an ordinary person in the street who doesn't understand uh, what a gilt is or what an annuity, definitely what an annuity is. What is that, how, does those, how does that bad news impact okay, on the pension? So you've saved up a pot of money. You want to turn that into a retirement income. Now, if you want to eliminate investment risk, you don't want to have to worry about whether your savings are safe at night when you're retired. You take the pot of money you've saved up in your pension over the years. You take it to an insurance company. You hand it over. And in exchange, they give you a guaranteed income for life. For as long as you live, they will give you a set rate of income. That's the annuity contract. They do this by taking the money that you've given to them and buying really secure, safe investments that will give them a very predictable income stream that they can then pass on to you in the form of the annuity income. And so they go and buy government debt. They actually effectively lend the money to the government and the government gives them a rate of interest in return. They use that interest to pay you your income. That's the bit that's been falling. So the markets have been spooked by everything that's happened in the last few days. So lots of people are buying this government debt because it seems to be very safe. That means the price goes up and so the interest rate you get off that investment goes down. Lower gilt yields means lower annuity rates, which means smaller pension incomes for people now converting their savings pots into a retirement income. And but Tom, this is uh, having a pension is a very um, Tom Selby rather. This is a, a very uh, passive process. If you've got a pension, you're in the back seat. Uh, you're you're at the wheel. You're the uh, Lewis Hamilton. Not much I can do about it, is there? About annuity rates or Lewis or Hamilton. Like... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's difficult. You've got you've got control over how much money you put in. You've got control over your investments. There are various things that you can control. But as Tom says, if you're at the point of trying to convert your pension into a guaranteed income, so if that's what you decided what, that you want to do, then now is a very difficult time. And it's been a difficult time for people for a while. We've had a com the combination of quantitative easing and um, rising uh, life expectancies means annuity rates have been on the downward trend for a long while. 
So what can people actually do uh, in this kind of post-referendum environment? Is there any action people can take? Uh, keep calm, first of all. The worst thing you can do is panic. This is, this is short-term uncertainty that we're dealing with. I mean, neither Tom, McPhail or I are going to pretend that we know exactly what's going to happen in the future. So if you've got a retirement plan, you should review what's going on, you should look at annuity rates, but you shouldn't panic and make a decision based on this short-term uncertainty. There is going to be a period of, you know, we don't know, 12 months, two years, whatever, where things are going to be tricky and people are going to be uncertain about what, they, what they're going to do. The mo most important thing is if you're in investing your money yourself, don't panic, don't, don't change your investments based on speculation or what, you, what your guessing is going to happen because nobody knows. I absolutely agree with Tom on that. So I think you know, this is not a moment for, for, for making panic. Sudden changes in direction. If you were planning on buying an annuity already, if you're in that difficult point where you're about to make the transition from work into retirement, uh, there's basically two things you can do here. One is, if you're going to buy an annuity, crack on, do it very yeah. quickly, because the rates will probably keep falling yeah. for the immediate future. So just delaying a week could cost you money for the rest of your life. Plan B is you think, do you know what, I don't need to or I don't want to buy an annuity right now, so I'm going to do something else. I'm going to perhaps keep my money invested in the markets and draw an income from those funds, and maybe I'll buy an annuity one day in the future, or maybe I'll just keep drawing an income from my portfolio for the rest of my life. But my word of caution on that latter strategy, and it's a perfectly legitimate strategy that will work for many people, my word of caution is... Back in 2008, when we had the banking crisis, we had a big, sharp change in monetary policy. We had interest rates that hit the floor. And I recall by about 2010, we were having predictions that interest rates would be going up again within a quarter, within a few months. Sort of by next year, interest rates would be going up. Well, guess what? Six years later, not only are we still waiting for interest rates to go up, but actually they're going in the other direction right now. So if your strategy is to hang on, as Tom says, we don't know what the future holds, you might be hanging on for quite a long time. But in the meantime, that strategy of drawing an income from your funds is a perfectly legitimate one for some people. Maybe doing a bit of both will work. I think, I think it's important that people have realistic expectations at the moment. As Tom said, we've gone through a long period, eight years of interest rates at record lows. They're likely to stay low for the foreseeable future. And that means the likelihood of you being able to get large investment returns from anywhere without taking significant risk is very, very low. So people are going to have to manage, and it's up, and it's up to the industry as well, as well as um, customers, to manage their expectations of what they're going to get from their investments because there's no getting away from it. If the, the, the risk-free rate, so the amount, of, the amount of return that you can get from something like a government bond, which you wouldn't expect to fall over, is low. So the search for yield is difficult for everyone. Uh, the Pensions Minister, Ros Altman, has said there's a delicate balancing act um, to dealing with pensions at the moment. What do you make of that? A really interesting one, and I think this starts to address the longer-term consequences of the current situation that we face right now. And some of these questions were already kind of loitering there on the edge of the radar, but I think the situation now has brought them into sharp focus. I have two particular concerns that really are more for final salary pension schemes, for those big corporate guaranteed pension schemes, job-for-life kind of pension schemes that we've operated in the past. Two threats to those schemes, which I think is what Ros is now focusing on. One is that same falling gilt yields that we were talking about just now also exacerbates the black hole in these pension schemes. It increases the liabilities, so it means that 
these schemes which are already in deficit, well, the deficit's just got bigger. So there's a demand from the pension schemes for more money from the employers to help fill that black hole in the scheme. And the other part of that problem is that we are facing a more uncertain economic future. We might see uh, a recession kicking in possibly within a few months. I mean, this, this could, could be quite real quite quickly. That could have a squeeze on corporate profits. So just at the moment, when the, the pension scheme is asking for more money, employers might be saying, look, I've got even less money to spare. And I think this is what Ros is starting to talk about, is how do we strike a balance between keeping the company going, paying the dividends, reinvesting in the business, and also Something feeding the pension diary. scheme, which demands yeah. money. We've got, I mean, it's a, diff it's a difficult time at the moment, isn't it? We've, we've already talked about the defined contribution market, so people who are building up their own pot of savings to, um, to turn into, an, uh, into a retirement income. Um, so that's the future that those people are, if you're looking to turn that into an annuity at the moment, you're struggling. Equally, final salary pension schemes, as we've seen with um, the British Steel pension scheme, as we've seen with BHS recently, are struggling as well. So you've got both ends of the spectrum there. You've got history and future potentially caught in, in the mire of the EU referendum and the fallout from Brexit. As I was saying to you just before we started, I mean, the, the concept of pensions and especially the, uh, the pensions, which, you know, my, my parents are both doctors and they've already, already sucked out 20 <laughs> years of pensions from, from the state, uh, maybe another 20 years to go. Uh, somebody lives to 100, uh, to 100 and has been retired for 30 years. I mean, that's not great news for BT, uh, HM government or anybody else. It's not going to be sustainable, is it? Well, and there are some real challenges there. And you also get into some awkward questions around intergenerational fairness and the older generations that have done extremely well out of the pension system, which are still sucking all the money out of the businesses to pay for their guarantees, thereby depriving the younger cohorts of the contributions going into their pensions now. So that is a problem. I think deals are going to have to be done. And Tom referenced British Steel, you know, BHS. You know, we've seen crisis situations where people are trying to fight fires with companies in danger of falling over and having to deal with the pension scheme in the immediate moment. But that longer question of the sustainability of the promises that have been made and the amount of money needed to, to, to meet those commitments is also a very difficult question. Because in the old days, in the 40s and 50s, 1940s, 1950s, you might have your pension for five years and then you die. Absolutely. Yeah. And now you're looking at 30 years or more. So the goalpost got shifted for the employers. What started off as a best endeavour promise became a rapidly more expensive problem. You've got mark-to-market accounting. You get increasing life expectancy. You get better inflation-proofing. By the way, the inflation-proofing, I think, is a really interesting to one to watch because the easiest way to dilute the pension promises is not to turn around to people and say, you know, I was going to give you 10 grand a year, well, I'm now only going to give you 8 grand a year. That upsets people. So what you do is you say, look, I'm still going to give you 10 grand a year, I just won't increase it quite as generously in line with inflation as I would have done. Is that helping? Past. Is that actually helping the whole That, that can save pension schemes an enormous amount of money. It's a really handy pressure valve to use. Now, what, what alarms me about that right now is that a very difficult consequence of the current economic situation to avoid is going to be, great, we've got lower sterling, so we've got an opportunity to export, and that's one positive consequence of the Brexit referendum. But a risk is we start importing inflation because commodity prices, you know, oil's priced in dollars. So we could see inflation feeding through into the system within a year or two. So it might be just the wrong moment to start giving up your inflation proofing on your pension benefits. Any, any benefits from Brexit or the chaos that we have at the moment from your perspective? I think for younger investors, perversely, uh, there are opportunities. And Tom's already referenced you know, this, that pensions are long-term, they're investments. I, 
if you're pouring money into the markets and you're saving a pot of money up that you're not going to draw on for another 30 years, this is potentially actually quite good news because you, could, you have the opportunity to buy investments at a lower price than you would have done otherwise. This all presupposes, though, that at some point in 10 years from now, the economy has stabilised and is growing again. And provided that happens, actually this hiatus, this, this disruption could be quite good for younger investors. Less red tape and not having to pay for Jean-Claude Juncker's pension. Is that, is that going to help us as well? Red tape is an interesting question. I think one of the key challenges for the city uh, coming out of all of this is going to be uh, a rethink on, on the regulatory costs and on, on British industries' uh, scope for, for, for innovation and development. And, and, and there, there could be some very positive consequences coming. I'd, I'd say as well, um, our, we, we did a, a check of our, our customers' behaviour on the, the, the day after the, the uh, referendum result. And um, the majority of trades that we saw on our platform were buys. So about 75% were people buying new stocks. Um, and the top buys were things like Barclays, Persimmon, all the stocks that had plummeted in the wake of the Brexit. Yeah. So that's not, well, no, they, so, they, so they bought them after yeah, the no, price had gone down. So they, yeah. they, they thought they saw a buying opportunity, yeah. whether that's proved to be right or not. It's another matter. We, we'll find out. But pe there were clearly people who were investing their own money thought that this was an opportunity for them to boost the value of their, of their pensions and their investments. Right, and um, the, in the news there was the triple lock guarantee on the state pension. Mm. How, what, what, can you explain about that? Yeah, I think so. So at the moment, uh, we're back to the inflation proofing, so the government promises to increase the state pension benefits it pays out by the best of 2.5% earnings growth and the, the consumer prices index. So you know, pensioners win every time they get the best of those three. But it's a promise. It's not uh, legislated for. The government could turn that tap off any time it feels like it. It never looks sustainable in the long term. Average pensioner incomes are almost at the same level as average working incomes now. Uh, the, the gap of 38% that existed in the mid-90s has closed to 7% today. So pensioner incomes have almost caught up. So, so if the government is looking at a, a fiscal squeeze, if it's running short of cash, uh, you know, I could see that uh, triple lock commitment becoming an early casualty of, of a, uh, an austerity budget. Uh, yes. Government and promise don't normally go together yeah, in the same. I, I, mean, I, I agree with Tom on that. The one, the one thing I'd say is that the people who delivered the, um, the Leave vote were generally older people. And if you end up with a Brexiteer as a Prime Minister or a Brexiteer as a Chancellor, then are they going to want to punish the people who've just delivered the result that they wanted. And also, I mean, I know it's only 2016, but there'll be a general election in 2020. We're going to have a couple of years, probably, of horse trading and things going on linked to Brexit. So people will already be starting, politicians will be starting to strategize for the general election in 2020. And are you going to annoy the very people who are likely to get you back into government? It's a, diff it's a difficult one, very difficult Pensioners one. Pensioners do vote. Well, we speaking of government promises, <laughs> the lifetime ISA, how's that looking at the moment? Yeah, interesting one. We've got various government initiatives uh, and the lifetime ISA, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to Treasury officials about that one within the last few days. It's still full steam ahead. You know, the plan is still very much to deliver it. Interestingly, that is a policy initiative aimed squarely at younger generations at the under 40s. Um, it will cost the government money. I think the one to watch now is going into the autumn statement. Once we've got a new prime minister on the 9th of September, I think it is, we should get the result of the Conservative leadership election. We're going to get the Tory party conference. 
We're going to get sometime after that uh, a, a, an autumn statement that may look a lot more like a budget than a conventional autumn statement because so much is up in the air at the moment. The lifetime ISA, I think, will probably survive all of that and probably will get delivered for next April, but there is uncertainty around anything to do with government's legislative programme now. I think, you know, you can't take anything for granted. We could get a snap election. You know, it, it, it's, all things are possible right yeah. now. All, the, all these things have been shoved down the political agenda. Um, I'd say I'd lean towards agreeing with you, Tom, that it's probably one that they'll try to get through the door in April, but at the same time, it doesn't take too much to imagine them pushing it back by a year. It wouldn't be the most difficult thing to do. While, while keep, because again, again, we come back to the intergenerational thing and the, um, the issue of the election and the voters. Again, you, we, we said there's a lot of Leave campaigners who, if you took away the triple lock, they'd be annoyed by that. Um, there's a lot of people who voted Remain as well. And this was a, the, the, the Lifetime ISA was aimed squarely at younger people who are struggling to get on the housing ladder. So if they look to scrap that altogether, that would be insult to injury. I think the one, the one that also gives me cause for concern right now following on mm. that train of thought is around pension taxation. Yep. The Treasury had a review of pension taxation earlier this year. Um, that produced the lifetime ISA. So they considered a wholesale review of pension taxation, decided not to, but launched the lifetime ISA instead. Now, if you're a chancellor who's worried about the economy slipping into recession, who wants to stimulate high street spending and at the same time wants to restrict the outflows of government money, a really good double win is to come back to the pension system and to tweak some of the pension tax breaks to reduce the amount of money people can pay into pensions, perhaps to reduce the amount of tax relief that's going out to higher earners. That's an easy win for the Chancellor. It saves the Exchequer money. It could potentially, therefore, stimulate high street spending because those wealthy people will spend the money rather than save it. So, so you know, that is one that gives me cause for concern going into this, this autumn statement later this I year. I mean, out of, out of the people who, are, who could be uh, the next Prime Minister, probably the only person we know who won't be is, is Jeremy Corbyn, but it could be anybody else. <laughs> could be anybody <laughs> else. Rule it out. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not even saying that for granted. Best to see in the Premier League this season. That wouldn't rule anything out. Um, from from your perspective, the two Toms, who would be the best? Uh, you know, the best out of the of the bunch who are in in, in focus at the moment. Such an unfair question. <laughs> Theresa, Theresa May is a, is a continuation of what we know. Is that okay? So um, I think from a kind of continuity unity candidate, uh, Theresa May you know, has been the front runner up until now. Um, and uh, you know, but it's been between us recording this and it being broadcast, probably something should pull out or something. <laughs> yeah. so I would I would put Theresa May as a front runner this afternoon, um, and and I you know my guess is it'll come down to her and Andrea Leadsom. Michael um, Gove as the chaos candidate. Yeah, um, and I can't see Fox or Crab being in the in the final selection. Um, but there is so much disruption at the moment, so many moving parts. I think it's a mug's game making any predictions. I was going to say, these, these, lead, these leadership campaigns are notoriously difficult to predict as well. And um, the idea of following... I mean, the bookies' favourite is obviously Theresa May and all the polling suggests that Theresa May is going to win, which would make me lean against Theresa... Not lean against her, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Rather you than me. So I think, uh, I think just, you know, from, from, from actually, I think from, from the country's point of view, I think the sooner we arrive at a point of, I think the critical things are stability um, and a, a leader, whoever that turns out to be, who can uh, endeavour to pull together 
the, uh, the, the, the fissures, the, the, the dissatisfaction, the disenchantment that is clearly being felt on all sides at the moment. You know, the people that voted leave because they wanted to shake things up, because they were unhappy about aspects of policy as existed before the referendum, all the Remain voters who are now horrified at the result and fearful of the future. So I think the big challenge for whoever is in charge is to try and steer a course that appeases all of those camps, that gives leadership, that helps to bring the country back together. And from an economic point of view, the most important thing right now is strong, coherent political leadership that can plough a path for us. And does that include access to the single market? Do you think that's an important thing that we should be seeking? Or how important is the single market? We are always going to have access to the single market. It's a question of the terms under which that is negotiated. Then you get into the realms of, well, is there an early... Uh, pressing of the nuclear button on Article 50. Um, interestingly, you know, there are already moves being made in Europe right now to restrict our engagement with them on matters of trade. Mm. So that's already happening. From Europe's point of view, there are factions that would like to bounce us into invoking Article 50 sooner rather than later because that weakens our negotiating position. From the UK's point of view, I think the, the longer we hold off pressing that nuclear button, the stronger our negotiating position. And then you get into the realms of what happens in elections in France and Germany over the next year or so, and whether you get internal weaknesses there changing the p- picture again. So there's, it's just impossible to call all this kind of stuff at the moment. And I think until we get through to the autumn, we'll start to see some economic numbers coming through, PMI data coming through then, we'll start to get a clearer picture on some of this stuff. Uh, finally, uh, you won't believe I'm 50 in September. I don't have a no. pension. Looking good. Um, I was going for the hope I die before I get old uh, approach. Uh, is that correct? I'm sticking with that. Uh, it's never too late to start a pension. Yeah. You're probably going to need the money at some point. You get good tax breaks on it. So, uh, is this a good time? It's, I mean, yes, ironically, is this a good time? A- absolutely, yes, it is. I, I was going to say, you're 50 years old, so... 49 I, I, at the moment. Sorry. 49, I know, I, maybe, so... Yeah. Your life expectancy will be around 85, 86. You might live a lot longer than that. You might live a lot shorter than that. But that's still a long investment time horizon. So you're still able to put money in, take advantage of the tax breaks, as Tom said, and take a bit of investment risk, knowing that you can ride out these short term. I might get some good deals at the moment. Absolutely, if you know what you're doing and you're comfortable making uh, those investment decisions or you've got good advice, yes, absolutely. And for those of us who aren't yet 30, what's the best pensions decision we can make right now? Don't rub it in, first of all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you've got a company pension scheme, pay in because the what I mean. The, so we we're, we're talk, if we talk about SIPs or private pensions, you might you might, might just be putting your own money in and getting the tax breaks. If you're in a workplace scheme, then your employer will have to pay in as well. So that at least you're guaranteeing you'll get some free money in there at the end of it. So pay paying early, paying as, as as much as you can afford. However much you're saving, it's probably not quite enough. So just, just keep looking well, upwards. Is that the note we're going to end on? <laughs> I thought we were going to end on free money as a positive Free, note, free money is a that's good fine. <laughs> With thanks to Tom Selby and Tom McPhail, this has been City AM Unregulated. Remember, you can listen to the podcast on cityam.com or download via iTunes or Audioboom to listen on the go. City AM Unregulated is an Audioboom production. Boom production.